Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and my guest today is Rabbi Levi Aktson, and our topic is the if-only attitude. I would like to dedicate this program to Helen Heldmuth, and you know, I saw this quote and it reminded me so much of Helen. It said, your vibe attracts your tribe, and Helen had the capacity to attract all people with her vibrant personality. And I certainly will miss her, and so will we all here at High FM. I wish her family long life and strength. Now, Rabbi Afton, hello. hello. It's your English birthday today, so Thank happy you. birthday. appreciate it. And uh, Rabbi Afton is the Associate Rabbi and Director of Outreach at Linksfield, Sendwood Hebrew oh. Congregation. He's also a presenter of High FM with the Fabringen Show, which comes on at 1 o'clock today. And I would suggest that anyone who hasn't heard him on that should listen to him. But also he's a blogger on Chabad.org. And your latest article, which I received from you yesterday, is really good. And if anyone would like to look it up, go on to Chabad.org, look up Rabbi Levi Aktson's blog. And it was What Four Deaths in Four Days Taught Me. I mean, that, it was very good, and I'm going to pick up on that shortly. If you would like to SMS us, please do so on 34519. We're now on Telegram. So Telegram is a free app, not WhatsApp. You can Telegram us on 061-895-1019. We would really like you to be part of our conversation. Now, Leo Tolstoy said, the Russian writer said, Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. Do you agree with that statement? Well, in general, one-liners often are simple, like to simplify. But yes, there's a, there's truth in the statement that more people want to change the world than the ones that want to change themselves. I do believe there are many people who do want to change themselves, change themselves. But I do believe there are more people. Who want to change the world? Yes. So, Reva, do you think that the if onlys stop us from actually reaching our potential to perhaps change our world or our society? Explain your question. Okay, the if onlys, which are which get us stuck in the past. So, if only I did this, if only I did that. That's not. We're not living in the present when we're saying if only. We're actually. It's, it's something that's already been. Okay. So in order to move forward and actually make a difference in our own lives and in other people's lives, we actually have to really unpack this if only. Yeah. Um, I would paraphrase the words if only differently. Yes. It's feeling sorry for ourselves. Right. Um, it's living in a alternate universe that our lives would look differently. If only I was better looking, if only I was the other gender, if only I was taller, shorter, thinner, etc., etc. In other words, it's denying the reality of what is and living in a land of make-believe mm -hmm. 
of what I wish it was. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that you, then you never actually address the elephant in the room, which is you. <laughs> mm-hmm. You never address the, the, the real challenge, the real work that needs to be done, and that is my own stuff. If only my mom was different. Mm. Well, that's not the way things work. That's your mom. Okay, so now what? How do you deal with it? But some of, so many of us love living in fantasy land, and that's why I think we love fantasy, and that's the best-selling books. You know, I, I'm a, I love nonfiction. But being a nonfiction reader is actually quite a pain. You know why? Because when I go into bookstores, the nonfiction section is always the smallest section, the hardest to find, and usually the most pathetic books on the shelf. <laughs> Either they're self-help or just some random ancient history, but nothing like just good and, and relevant. And yet when you look at fiction, it literally takes over the bookshelves. And the mind-body-soul uh, connection certainly has taken over every bookshop. Yeah. And some of them... I mean, I'm hooked in those. I really am. But new age stuff. Yeah. Well, yes, I like to think it's not so new age. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, some of it is such absolute rot. Yeah, just filling pages with words. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and for me, I often wonder, like, what's the addiction of fiction? And I, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with fiction. Um, but there's something about it that is a tad escapism. Okay. Mm. Now, if you read it once in a while, it's fun. But, but many of us live in a world of fiction. In other words, we're always imagining our life differently. We're imagining our lives in somebody else's shoes. In other words, jealousy. Um, we're, la- we're imagining the lives of celebrities, etc. We're living in a different world rather than our own. Mm. We're analyzing other people instead of analyzing ourselves. And certainly I agree with you because so many of the uh, people that that um, the celebrities that people aspire to be live in in a in a world and a life that very few people can attain. You know, with the wealth that they have and everything, and to try and reach that, you're going to be continuously disappointed in yourself, and all you will see is lack. Yeah, and and once you get there, if you ever get there. You'll be terribly disappointed by what the world actually is. Mm-hmm. So how many people get to that place and then their life absolutely falls apart? If only I had money, then you achieve money and you realize it doesn't solve anything. If only I had love and then you get love and then you could destroy it because you realize that love doesn't solve your problems. You solve your problems and love is just a nice accompaniment. That's why people like Bill Gates and those sort of people who who actually have used their wealth for the betterment of of um, people who don't have as much and to educate and feed, uh, they they find such meaning in their lives because they're not just looking at their wealth and, and just seeing that they've achieved wealth. Mm. And they're not living in fantasy. In other words, you find more and more that people live... <sighs> What's reality? Okay, Reality is perception. Perception is reality. But our perception can be more grounded in reality if we let go of what if. Okay, so my perception of myself. I could overestimate myself or I could underestimate myself. Both of them are extremely dangerous. Underestimating myself makes me feel a sense of worthlessness and and allows me to go into a deep 
hole of darkness. Overestimating myself means that my ego gets built up way too big. I stop taking myself seriously. I stop realizing um, my frailties and my humanity. And then I often collapse. That's mm-hmm. the human condition. So to how I perceive myself has to be grounded in in the reality of I'm human. Mm-hmm. My life isn't perfect. Life is not supposed to be perfect. I'm good enough. These simple messages, which so many of us tend to forget to remind ourselves in, and we just enter these fantasy things of either I'm amazing or I'm shocking. Mm-hmm. Most people you meet are, are somewhere on that spectrum of they overestimate themselves and they think they're way too cool. And you're like, dude, seriously, man, like you're, you're cool, man. But like, woo! <laughs> and then the people who feel like they're absolutely useless for humanity and feel like they have no value to add. And they're both so dangerous mm-hmm. and they're both not grounded in the reality that is, but rather in the, the reality of I wish. I have to add, I totally agree with you. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Uh, this is Sue Jackson, and our, my guest today is Rabbi Levi Upson, and we've been talking about if-only attitude. You know, Rabbi, this, uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik explained that human beings have the potential to be objects or subjects. When we, in other words, when we cruise through life, um, simply following our old habits and doing what we've always done, we allow ourselves to become objects. But when we are mindful and spiritually aware of the direction of our lives, and we have a direction that we're aiming towards, we are subjects. Mean, so what does that mean? The, the subject is the person or, or who is doing something. Okay. In other words, moving towards something. An object is having something done to it. So for instance, if I had to say to you, I love you, I would be the subject in that. So that's what Rabbi Soloveitchik said, that we can, we have the potential to be either objects or subjects. And spiritually, if we want to grow, we need to be the subjects. Yes. Um, you know, we've been talking about this idea of only. When a person accepts reality, here's the funny thing. The gr- one of the great challenges of being human is accepting the world that you were born into. And it's only then that growth starts. And you just see that the later people push on and push off in life, that acceptance and embracing their role, the later growth starts. Mm. And often when you want to see how much a person's grown in life, all you have to look at is when did, at what age did they reach acceptance? At what age did they just say, you know what? Life isn't perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. And I'm good enough to play this part. Mm. At that moment is when our journey reaches a tipping point and we actually take the direction, um, the right curve. We take the right the, the right way on the road but often we delay that and we just spend so much time resentment and regret often it's resentment and regret and regret is also a, an empty uh, feeling you know it's because you can't go back um uh, victor frankl uh, had a quote um he talks about looking at the um considering the stubble fields 
of the past instead of the full granaries of the past. So, so often we do look at, at what was wrong, the stubble of our lives, instead of seeing, well, actually, let's see where the fullness was, where, where I actually did reach my potential. Because, you know, not all our lives are totally empty. I, I heard a YouTube the other day of a man who came before a judge. It was a true YouTube. He came before a, a judge, a woman judge, and she looked up at him and she said, Oh, I have wondered where you've been. And he, I, I want, she, she said, you and I were at high school together and I, I um, wondered whatever happened to you. And just then he put his head in, his hand in his head because he thought he could have been that judge. But look what he had actually done to his life. And it was a huge wake up call uh, to him. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Interesting, you kind of said two thoughts which can almost be contradictory. No regret, but yes, we also have to accept the, ch- the, the regrets of our life. In other words, I don't think we need to live our life with feeling sorry for ourselves for the way our life played out. But on the other hand, I don't think regret is the worst thing on the planet either. Mm. Otherwise, you never atone. Um, so when people say, I live my life without any regrets... I wonder if that's actually a Jewish statement to say. And, uh, you know what? Uh, when someone says that to me, I must admit I um, I switch off. <laughs> like, really? I mean, like you've been alive for seventy-five years and you have no regrets. Obviously, everything was by design, and you learned the lessons. But like, are you a robot or something? Like, you really have no regret with that relationship that you broke? That you have no re- re- regret the way you hit your kid? I mean, really? There's mm-hmm. no regrets. Um, I don't think we have to live in regret. I don't think that that has to be the forefront of our consciousness. But I do think a healthy dose of reflection on the mistakes we made and commitment to change our ways going forward is extremely important. I agree with you. And, you know, there's that one line, let your past make you better and not bitter. So I do think that that's, that's also a good one because we have the potential to actually make it better. Um, because everyone does have regrets. Even if you're saying, I don't have any regrets, if you really look truthfully at your life, there, there are always, you don't have to hang on to those regrets, certainly. And I do, don't think that's healthy. Mm. But if you allow your regrets to actually move you forward and also to realize how often our regrets, we're looking at them from a place of knowledge now. Knowledge gained since the event. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Not We're not in that time when we didn't have as much knowledge. We didn't know as much about maybe the other person or ourselves. And when we, when we look back on it, we're looking back as though we had that knowledge already when that happened. Hmm. It's an interesting thing. Very often when people say, I don't live with regrets... What they're saying is, if I lived with regrets, then my self-esteem would be less. In other words, to, for me to admit that I made mistakes means for me to admit that I am a mistake. Mm. And that's false. Absolutely false. Okay, uh, Brene Brown calls it the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt, I made a mistake. Shame, I am a mistake. Ah, wow. Okay, now, re- the, the issue with regrets is... Only when you see yourself as a failure for having them. But if you say, I've been in this world to fail. I was put in this world to make mistakes and learn from them. If I, if I was put in this world to not make mistakes, then I would be in heaven. Heaven is a place of no mistakes. Mm-hmm. What's the fundamental difference between heaven and earth? In heaven, you can't do anything wrong. And in earth, you can. 
and and therefore the reward for doing something right is much greater as well. But the point is, failure is life. It's not an aberration to life. It's not a failure of life. It's life. The issue is when I lose my sense of self over failure. When I think that regret means I'm admitting I'm less than. Mm-hmm. No. And I think in depression, that's what so often happens, is that feeling of lack, you know, of... Um, worthlessness. Uh, worth absolute powerlessness and worthlessness. And it's that that often has to be looked at. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Rabbi Levi Upson, and we're talking about the if-only attitude, which we've then gone on, on to um, regrets and and guilt and self-blame. And Rabbi, you actually said that you gave a shiur yesterday, or was it yesterday? Yes, sir. To a group of women, please just tell me about that. But first of all, I just want to remind you that if you want to join in our conversation, which we'd love you to, you may SMS us on 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Right, so Rabbi. interesting, that independent of the show, I wasn't like when I was talking yesterday, I wasn't mindful of the show that we were going to do today together. Um, every year when it comes to Rosh Hash- uh, Tisha B'Av, which is a reflective time for for us as a nation, and it happens to be also be the day after my Hebrew birthday. So it's funny, like I just, every year, the Jewish world commemorates my birthday by eating eggs and ashes. Just ex- <laughs> explain to, to our listeners who don't, are not Jewish, what Tisha B'Av stands so, for. So, okay, so Tisha B'Av is the day that, that's the collective mourning of, of Jewish tragedy. Um, obviously, it also has an upside, and that is, it's a day of faith that things will be better. But fundamentally, it's 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 a day of grieving. It's a day of sadness. We sit on low chairs. We don't eat. We don't wear leather shoes. And it's a day that we think about various tragedies that happened that day, including the destruction of both great temples in the in Jerusalem. And it's a day that we focus not only on those tragedies, but the collective tragedies. So like in the book that we read on the Tisha B'Av morning, it's called the Kinot, K-I-N-O-T, many, many pages that don't only talk about the tragedies of the the two temples. There's prayers for the Holocaust. There's prayers for the the Jews killed by the Crusaders in the 10th and 11th centuries, etc., etc. So it's a day of really collective tragedy. Um, halfway through the day, we get off our low chairs, and that's usually midday um, of the day. So it starts in the evening, so we'll start Saturday night. Sunday afternoon, we go back onto high chairs, and like we kind of soften the grieving a bit because we don't stay in that space for too long. But for close to 24 hours, we're in a state of deep grieving. You know, we don't greet each other. Um, we don't laugh. Whatever. We're, we're very mindful of, uh, of the, the darkness. And it hit me a few years ago that perhaps, can I suggest that once a year, and symbolically it can mean once in a while, to sit back and look at the what-ifs is not the tragedy. In other words, once in a while to look back and see the disappointments of our life, to acknowledge them, is okay. It doesn't mean that we have to then 
you know, feel sorry for herself or feel like a victim of circumstance, but to, to admit we are human beings and human beings have hopes and dreams. And at some stage, our dreams and hopes, some of them were disappointed. And here's the funny thing, that once our dreams and were disappointed, we stopped dreaming. Think about it. A young child has millions of dreams. Every day they're going to be something else. I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be a ballerina, etc. And as they get older, the, the dreams get narrower and narrower and narrower. And then they hit a certain age. People hit a certain age where there's no dreams at all. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much, I just want to live. I want to be at my kid's wedding. That's the that's the big dream. Now, that's great to be at your child's wedding, but that can't be the be-all and end-all of what it means to be human. And perhaps looking back at the dreams we had is not only healthy to just give voice to our frustration, but actually allows us to start dreaming again, to remember that 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, I was full of dreams. I had so many aspirations. I, the human being, had the world as my oyster, as the expression goes. Mm -hmm. And what happened? And what we do on Tisha B'Av is like we sit back and say, gosh, 1950 years ago, our temple was destroyed. What a world that was. We talk about the beauty of the temple. We talk about the destruction, the the, the pain of it. Why are we reflecting so much? First of all, because we want it to be built again. But also, sometimes to go back to where we come from, to go back to the dreams, to the options, can reactivate within us the power to dream mm. again. So true. And you're not looking at your life harshly there as a self-critic, really. You're looking at it with softened eyes, and I think that is... Forgiving. Yes, it is. And those, so I was just going to say that softened eyes is to look back with forgiveness, forgiveness for, with, for self and for others, you know, um, and I think that is so important. One of, uh, you know, in your article that you wrote about the four deaths in, in four days, I was thinking about it and I was thinking about people that I know and have known in my life who right at the very end of their lives have said, if only, if only I didn't know this. And, and just a while ago, funny enough, we were talking to someone and they said, they weren't, they don't actually remember what the fight was about with the person that they haven't spoken to for the last 30 years. Now, that you can't, where, you know, where does forgiveness come in then? You know, you, you have to sometimes unpack it and say, okay, what did I learn from that experience? Hmm. What can I go on now and change? Because I am still alive. I am still part of this world. It goes back to the thing that we mentioned earlier, and that is to separate the person from the action. In other words, I can be very critical of an action I've done and still see my own worthiness. I can, I should be able, as a parent, to criticize my child harshly at times for something they've done wrong without making them feel any less a sense of self. What you did was wrong, and you're beloved. One of my children asked me recently, Dad, if I really disappointed you, would you still love me? Uh, and obviously my answer was yes, of course. I said, I would, but I would still be disappointed by the action. But we, it's something I've brought up on the, my show many, many times, our inability often to separate action from person. So if a person can be forgiving for themselves, in other words, yes, I'm human and I make mistakes, but at the same time being very harsh of their action, that fight with my sister for 30 years was ridiculous. Mm. Doesn't mean I'm ridiculous. 
I could be forgiving, I was weak at the moment, and this and that, but I'm still a good person, etc. Then I can look objectively at what I've done. And I'm a big believer that even for each other, for good friends, we should be able to criticize actions and not people. When we talk politics, we should be able to criticize actions, not people. I hate that politics becomes about people. It, 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 it's, it's so disgusting. Basically, everyone's there to prove that every other human being is imperfect. Mm. But of course. And the whole, and the entire country is of imperfect. Of course. So, genius. What did you think? You thought that the world was perfect? Like, mm. but to sit there saying, yes, we're all imperfect, but I want to talk about that weakness. Let's analyze it. Let's discuss it. I don't think that's Lashon Hara. I don't think there's anything wrong with, on the contrary, it's the only way to do it's not gossip. It's the right way to be able to point and say that behavior is wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging you for while you did it, and maybe you did it for all the right reasons, but objectively it's wrong. So a person should be able to look and sit there saying, yes, you know, I acted like an idiot years ago, but I'm not an idiot. Now let's analyze what I've done, and let's learn the lessons from it without losing my healthy sense of self. Mm-hmm. Because the moment I start seeing myself as a rag, or a victim. Or a victim. Then that's what I become in my own reality. And as we said earlier, perception is reality. It is It is reality. And you know that um, Rumi actually said that one of the marvels of the world is the sight of a soul sitting in the prison, in a prison, with the key in his hand. And I think that's beautiful. And Rabbi Yehuda Halevi in one of his poems actually said, the world at large is a prison and every man is a prisoner. So what you're saying is certainly if that's the case and we are in, you know, the the prisoners of our perception, then where is our key to actually unlock who we really are and our potential? Interesting. So I guess there's many answers to that question, but what I would say is very often religion is sold as the way to absolve you from your problems. In other words, it's the solution to your problems, which I think is a terrible way of selling religion because welcome to disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. like, yeah. However, I think faith and religion, healthy um, faith and healthy religion gives us a better coping mechanism with the disappointments of life. In what way? It gives perspective. It tells you that this world is a complicated place, but that if you overcome your challenges, there's meaning to it. It gives meaning to those challenges. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing one time an example um, that if someone walked over to you on the middle of the road and uh, stuck a needle in your mouth, you would punch them so hard and you would call the police and you would lay claim. However, you go to the dentist, you make an appointment, you wait two months, somehow dentists always have long waiting lists, and you sit down in the chair and you go, ah, (laughs) and you open the mouth and you let them drill into your tooth and then it's sore and it's miserable and then you get up and you sit there saying, thank you so much and here's 2,000 rand. So what's the difference between the two? The difference is, one, the pain is meaningless and the other one, the pain is meaningful. And the point is, we have nothing against pain. We all go through pain, whether it's training, um, women go through childbirth, etc. Life is has a lot of pain. So leaving, letting your child go is painful, etc. But there's meaning to it. So what faith gives us is meaning to the struggles of life. I don't believe it should be sold as the alleviator of struggles. 
because life is struggles. Yes, sometimes we could do a mitzvah and it could take away a certain challenge, but I promise you, if you take on the whole religion, it's not going to make your life perfect. And by every, by the objective definition of perfect, if there's such a thing exists, we'll still have our challenges. We'll still have a child with a disability and we'll still have the imperfect marriage, etc., etc. There'll be our healthy, but there'll be meaning to it. And the moment there's meaning in pain and meaning in struggle, then it, it's not as painful and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as, as much of a struggle. Do you know, I have to agree with you there, especially in my work that, that, I, that I was in for so long and having been a nursing sister as well, I saw so many people who saw their illness as simply meaningless and, and, a, and a punishment. And then there were other people who inspired me by finding meaning within that, that pain that they were in. Um, trying their hardest to find a reason beyond it, what that they could work with, that they could actually hold on to and make sense of what was happening in their lives. 100%. And that doesn't mean justifying. In other words, I don't think we have to be pacifists and whatever comes our way, just say, like, you know, it's fantastic and great. Like, we, we pray to Hashem and we say, like, please make our lives easier. But at the same time, we don't resent it and we don't make it feel senseless. Mm. Because really, that's what, for me, what, what faith gives me in my life. And every day that I get older and like, I believe that as we mature, our life's complexities just become bigger and bigger and bigger as our responsibilities grow and as we're connected to more people. You think about it as a young person, you're pretty much only connected to yourself. And then you take on a spouse, then you take on children, then you take on grandchildren, you take on in-laws. And like the amount of people who could affect you and the people that you're interconnected are tremendous, the amount of your employees, etc. And in the complexities of life, what I find faith gives me is meaning. It allows me to sit there saying, gosh, my life doesn't look perfect. Daddy, mommy, and the picket fence. Mm-hmm. But it's meaningful. And that's all I'm here for. I'm here to live a life of meaning. I'm not here to live a life of perfection. And that meaning has to be discerned. You know, no one can actually give you meaning ever. I mean, no one can say to you, well, this is the meaning of your life. You know, Rabbi, you've done great. I mean, look what you've done for Lingsfield Shul and the, and the new Shul and the new hall and everything. But if that's meaningless to you, I know it is, I know it's got a lot of meaning to you, but if that's meaningless to you, I can't give you that meaning. 100%. You have to discern it yourself. You have to unpack it yourself and find it yourself. 100%. That's what I think religion doesn't tell us what to think. It tells us how to think. Mm. Faith doesn't give you ability of it doesn't dictate to you what to say or what to think. It just gives you a healthy framework within to think. So like when I'll often go into a shiva house or a house of mourning and someone will say, Rabbi, why did this happen? I always start off by saying I'm not God's lawyer and I'm never, I never signed up for it. And if he signed me up, I quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but all I could talk about is principles of faith and the afterlife, etc. And hopefully one of the principles I share and the points I elaborate will resonate with you and then you'll find your own meaning. Mm-hmm. I can't give meaning to your tragedy. It's not for me. It's almost, it's, it, it's injustice. It's cruel. It's condescending for me to look at you and look at the challenges of your life and to start playing self-righteous and to play um, this patronizing attitude of why you're going through what you're going through. And I'm very weary of religious figures who play that game. But rather... Here are the principles. Here's basic faith. Here's what Judaism says about struggles. But your meaning is your story. Mm-hmm. And I wish you luck on your journey. 
Absolutely. And I, and I do believe that many people who do not have religion will find perhaps in nature a meaning. You know, even in looking at the growth and the, the death and the, the life within nature, um, they would find meaning in that. And that's their meaning and that's their choice. And, and it can be as beautiful for them as religion is to us. Yeah. So the only issue, the only I think I would say over there is with respect to that is where I would struggle is that faith gives me the ability to find objective meaning. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I believe there's a creator who created the heaven and earth and that that is involved in every life, so then my meaning is actually understanding what does he want from me. Oh. But when I don't believe in a creator and I believe in random chance, then the meaning is very much a nice cushion, but it's a very subjective feeling. And some people might not find that comforting because it's just a, a mind game. Versus the meaning of faith, which is not a mind game. It's actually true. Mm. It's, it's objectively true for the believer. And I would ask, what does she want of me? A hundred percent. I see we've got a message. Oh, hello, Jude. Judy Erwig from from um, Australia. Hi, Sue and Rabbi Aptson. Another fascinating topic. Thank you. A slightly different perspective of it only. When people who have lost loved ones live with the haunting thoughts, if only she hadn't been driving that day, if only I had warned him about swimming and so on. What are your thoughts about that? Oh, wow. Um, That's profound. It's profound and it's painful. Very painful. It's very painful because, you know, I, I'm living with my own little, if only with my dad's death. That's still yes. very uh, recent. Um, and obviously I know I'm going to overcome it, etc. But I'm still at the phase that I, I have a bit of it, if only on that um, story. Here's the fact. The fact is God runs this world. I remember one time I was at a shiva home years ago before I became a rabbi. And the mourner was telling me that everyone's walking in and saying, how did your dad die? And he says, God took him. His mechanism was a car accident. In other words, there is no if only when it comes to this, especially things this big, but anything. God runs this world. And yes, it's sad that maybe they went in that way, but it was their time. If it wasn't their time, that car accident would not have happened, or they wouldn't have died, or been, they would have been pulled out of the pool at the, at the correct moment. It's... The sadness of those kind of tragedies is it's so easy to imagine a different alternative universe versus, mm-hmm. let's say, sickness, where you're like, okay, it is what it is. But there is no alternative universe. It is. It was supposed to happen. And But I think it's incredibly difficult to actually, and it can cause a lot of anger, if you're dealing with um, if someone who has lost a child and you say it was meant to be, it was destiny. I mean, you know, they they are entitled to their anger and a hundred percent, and that's mm-hmm. why I always say that in a, in a house of mourning, I will never talk philosophy mm-hmm. um, if the pain is real. In other, and I'll be honest, when people sit there saying it was your dad's time, it doesn't feel good as well. But ultimately, the way I'm grappling, my dad was young; he was sixty-one years old. He li- he sat down on a couch and didn't wake up. Mm-hmm. Never said goodbye, etc. I've spoken about it before, and. Maybe it's not for anyone else to tell me, but I'm finding peace slowly by believing it was his time. Because mm-hmm. I don't know if his, if his time means that he lived life fully. He could if had he lived another twenty years, life would be, I'm sure, great. But for whatever reason, and I don't understand God's logic, God felt 
his time was up. Again, I don't know if that's a comforting feeling. I don't know if it's a... Um, I don't think it makes anybody feel better. But it's... If I believe in God, and I believe that God is just, and I believe that nothing in this world happens out of his, his or her control, or its control, then yes, my dad's death wasn't a fluke. Mm. It had to happen. Why? I don't know. So there's comfort in that for you. There's comfort in the fact that there's a greater being than myself who makes decisions that are beyond my own sense of logic. And maybe I'll never understand it, but I do truly believe in this being and in its justice. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Rabbi Levi Upson, and the time is actually going very quickly. It always does when you and I are together. Our topic started off as if only, and it's actually just taken itself. You were talking, and you said you have something to so add. So I'll be honest. When, when, when tragedy comes up in a conversation, it's, it's so heartbreaking. But one of the letters that the Lubavitch Rebbe wrote to a grieving family offers a lot of comfort to me personally. Again, I, I don't believe that what offers comfort to me can offer comfort necessarily to somebody else, but I do believe it's worth sharing. He says, imagine a caveman walks into a surgery room and sees a bunch of people dressed in white with masks on their faces, sticking needles into a person and a bunch of funny-looking pipes, and then slice the chest open and start taking out limbs. What would he think is happening? Absolute torture. Absolute torture and evil. Mm. What is the caveman or cave woman lacking in their understanding? Context mm. and the power of medicine and how these people are truly compassionate people who are spending 10 hours over the body of somebody just trying to get them to live a little longer. And that's the difference of intelligence between a caveman and a, a modern man, a modern ma woman, which is a relative difference. It's a quantifiable difference. Mm, mm. And look how different they could see reality. How much more so me and my God. That's an unquantifiable difference. That God created logic, and logic is just one way of seeing reality. It's the way human beings make sense of this world, but it's just one way of seeing things. Mm. For me to come and look at God and sit there saying, why? Or saying, how could this possibly happen? If only. It's like the, is, the caveman is, is, is just a little example of like, I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So yes, I'm, a, I'm not neg negating human emotion. Human emotion is sadness. Even when we go, when we go through tragedy, we sit shiva and we sit shloshim and, and we sit and mourn because we're human beings and we feel feelings. But at the same time, we also have the perception that we say at the grave, Hashem natam Hashem lakach. God gave and God took. Mm -hmm. And that deep sense of knowledge that there is a being that is beyond my level of intelligence and beyond my level of sense and sensical that makes decisions which in its mind are just is good enough for me to believe that things will be okay despite my heartbreak. And that for you is incredibly, it's a blessing to believe like like that. I do think whether when you mentioned the caveman, it is what I said earlier about us looking so often at our mistakes of the past and judging ourselves on those. 
not realizing that we're looking from a different perspective now of more knowledge now looking back mm. and I would have done things differently then if I knew what I know now mm. and you know you we, we, you can't actually you can't rewind time you can't undo time it uh, is you done. often see it very frustrating uh, for parents and grandparents trying to impart wisdom to their young children or grandchildren the wisdom that they've achieved over 70 years to the 16 year old and not understanding why it's not penetrating don't you understand? Grandma's lived on this world and she's made all the mistakes and she had a sim- the, the same creepy boyfriend that you have just 50 years ago. And this is exactly. Learn from her Learn mistakes. From- My mistakes. But, but your mistakes are your journey. And sometimes, yes, uh, a younger person will learn a lesson, but often the only way we learn is by fooling ourselves. And no matter how many great speakers we go to who tell us, I'm telling you, don't do this. You can't. Don't ever fight in a marriage. No. Often the only way you learn how to not fight is by fighting. <laughs> I'm saying often you'll only learn by our own journey. And, to, and, and that's what's so much about being a parent that lets go is giving your kids the freedom and the dignity to make their own mistakes mm-hmm. and stop making believe as if they're there to fix our mistakes. And I think and to realize we, we can't protect them from their mistakes or whatever might happen in those mistakes. It's their journey. It is their journey. And I do think that so many children who are entitled today, feeling entitled today, are the ones that have been overprotected by by the parents and not been allowed to knock their heads. Hmm. To to just allow our our children to learn their lessons. It's actually disrespectful. I remember, I, I forgot who I heard it from who said the words, not allowing your kids to go on their journey is disrespectful to them, which I thought was a very interesting and profound way of putting it. It is. It's disrespectful. It's their journey. It's their lessons. And they don't necessarily have to learn the lessons you learned because maybe their life will not look like yours mm. as much as you wish it did. Their life will have their journey. They're not going to have the exact same marriage as you and they're not going to have the same children as you had. And they're not going to live in the same world that you lived in. They're going to live in their own set of circumstances. And God, by design, is putting them in a world where they have to learn their lessons. And And, and we can't take those lessons away from them. And you're doing them a disservice if you are. But we can't. You know, they still are going to have to go through them. I mean, we might think we can protect them from it. But, uh, you know, you you can't. The lessons have to be learned. And I think that's the great thing of being a parent is being... To realize we made our mistakes and we still turned out okay, Mm. or we turned out relatively okay, Mm. and we're still worthy worthy of love and living, and our children as well. To look at this child and sit there saying, gosh, I have no idea what mistakes you'll make, and I have no idea what successes you'll make, but either or, or both together, Mm -hmm. you're still worthy of my love. Yeah, I think that's such a big one. It really is. I must admit for myself, looking back on my life now, you know, at my age, you, uh, I have a very different perspective now, and as long as my chemicals are in harmony, <laughs> I'm able to look rationally and think to myself, gosh, you know, I don't know how much time there is left, but how am I going to use this time productively uh, for my soul, for myself, and finding my own meaning and purpose in this time of my life? And I'm, uh, you're definitely doing a great job on that. Oh, thanks, Rabbi. <laughs> This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM.
Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest is Rabbi Levi Upson, and we've been talking about uh, If Only. If you would like to join our conversation, please do so on Telegram 061-895-1019 or SMS on 34519. By the way, thank you all, everyone who sent messages in last week. It was great. I did receive them. Uh, Judy, who sent that message through short just now, sent this quote this morning, which actually for me um, shows us to embrace our, our uniqueness. And it says, use what talents you possess. The woods would be silent if no birds sang except those whose songs are sweetest. And that is, I think, so relevant because so many children, especially, and teenagers are feeling that they are not the popular crowd. They're not the best that they... Not good enough. Not good enough. And here, what this says, you know, if only the best, if only the prettiest, if only the cleverest we're actually able to sing the song of nature. It's interesting. Can I heard you imagine? So, I, I, a beautiful statement. I heard it in, said in different words by actually one of the great sages of our of Jewish history. His name was Rabbi 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 Bachia ibn Pekuda, who lived in the 11th century, and he wrote a book called Duties of the Heart. It's a famous uh, Jewish classic called Chovot Halavavot, the obligations of the heart, and it talks about the various commandments and Jewish ethos of of emotion and what we're supposed to feel. And in his introduction, he goes through a very long thesis about, was he the right person to write this book? Is he good enough? Which is fascinating. He's writing this in the 11th century. Wow. And at some stage, he says, I realized that if authors waited for their books to be perfect, then no book would have been authored since Moses went off the mountain with the five, with the Ten Commandments. Wow, that's which I thought fantastic. Was such a beautiful way. Mm. Obviously, he was a great man, but for him to say those words, I found extremely empowering. Absolutely, and actually, as you're saying that, uh, I'm just thinking there's there's no cutoff point to that. You know, you you must do that and fulfill that your potential, become the best you can become until the end of your life. Mm. I mean, that, that's beautiful. You know, um, there's that thing from the Talmud which says, when a kippah was on his deathbed, he said to his rabbi that he felt he was a failure. His rabbi moved closer and asked why, and a kippah said that he had not lived a life like Moses. And he began to cry, ad- admitting that he feared that God would judge him. And at this, his rabbi leaned into his ear and he whispered gently, God will not judge a kippah. For not being Moses, God will only judge Akiba for not being Akiba. Interesting. That that that's, that that story is like, is like a a bit of a alternate story. It's actually more recent than the Talmud. Mm. Uh, the story is told about a character named Zusha. Zusha, that's the, the one I know. Yeah. yeah. So, so this story obviously just tried to give it a, some cute. It can't, um, Change the name. So it's pretty much a, yeah, a, a, make it sound ain't more ancient, but yes. I think it's as profound where Zusha is on his deathbed and he says that when I come to heaven, they're not going to ask me why I wasn't a sage like Moses or a prophet, you know, like Elijah, etc. But they're just going to ask Zusha, why weren't you Zusha? Mm. Which, which is so beautiful. So and beautiful. it's like, um, it, that saying, um, Adam, Adam, where are you? And we have the opportunity to either step up and say, here I am, or actually not answer. 
Do you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Each and every one of us have the incredible opportunity to play our part. And nobody else knows how important our part is, only God. Mm, absolutely. And stop judging the effectiveness and popularity of your part based on other human beings trying to find their own part. And stop wishing for a different life, part. you know. Stop wishing for more. More of what? You know, just rather look at it in gratitude. And I yeah. think that's one. There are no main actors in, this, in the play of life. Every one of us is a main actor. Mm. Even though it seems that some people are in the forefront of acting and some are on the background of acting, we're all main actors. We are all main actors. You're absolutely right. And we're also all under the same umbrella, the sky above us. Now right. We're sharing that same umbrella, mm. which is beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Sue. It was great to have you. And um, people wanted our podcast, so we'll certainly send it on to them, or they can download it tomorrow once it comes out. And um, have enjoy the rest of your day and your birthday, your Hebrew birthday coming up. And we actually said to Rabbi that we found it quite sad that he was not able to have presents in his birthday because of uh, the nine days uh, uh, going up to his birthday. And here he actually said that he enjoys it anyway. So. <laughs> well, actually, I'm in the year of mourning, so I can't receive gifts regardless. That's, that's so true. But please, God, only simchas for us all. Let us all have simchas. Thank you again, and God bless everybody. Thank you, Craig.